Jesus fulfilled 108 prophecies when he came the first time. And anyone who thinks that is an accident knows nothing, absolutely nothing, about the laws of probability. Prophecy is proof positive that Jesus was God in the flesh. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope. I'm Dave Reagan, Senior Evangelist for Lamb and Lion Ministries, and this is my colleague, Dennis Pollack. Every year at Christmas, I am reminded of the remarkable prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus and how they substantiate His deity and the faithfulness of God. In this program, we're going to take a look at some of those prophecies. The first that come to my mind are those that establish the general time period when the Lord would appear. Tell us about those prophecies, Dennis. Well, Dave, I'll be glad to. There are two of them. One is in Genesis 49, and the other is in Daniel 9. Okay, I'll tell you what let's do. Before we move into those, let's, let's just take them in order. So let's go to Genesis 49 first. All right. Well, the verse I have in mind is Genesis 49 and verse 10, which contains words spoken by Jacob on his deathbed to his son Judah. Jacob said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, the term Shiloh was recognized by the Jewish rabbis as a messianic title. The term scepter refers to the judicial power of the nation. Thus, this prophecy is saying that the Jewish nation's judicial power will never be lost before the Messiah comes. But Dennis, uh, didn't, the, uh, uh, didn't the Jews lose that judicial power during the Babylonian captivity about uh, 500 years before uh, the birth of Jesus? Well, a lot of people would think so, but no, it's, it's interesting that although Judah was deprived of its national sovereignty at that time, it never lost its scepter. That's because the Jews were allowed to have their own judges during the Babylonian captivity. So then the loss of judicial power must have occurred under the Romans. That's right. In about 7 AD, the Romans removed the power of the Jewish Sanhedrin Council to pronounce the death penalty. You know, it's amazing that there is a notation about this in the Talmud, the Jewish oral tradition. It states that the Sanhedrin was overtaken by a general consternation and that they covered their heads with ashes and their bodies with sackcloth and they exclaimed, Woe to us, for the scepter has departed from Judah and the Messiah has not come. That is very remarkable, Dennis. Of course, what they did not realize was that the Messiah had already come. Exactly. Jesus had been born about 11 years earlier, and so Shiloh had arrived shortly before the scepter departed, just as was prophesied. Now, the other timing prophecy is found in Daniel 9. It's a complex one, so I'll just summarize it. The prophecy was written during the Babylonian captivity, and basically what it says is that the Messiah will come and be killed 483 years after an order is issued for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Now, that order was given by the Medo-Persian ruler Artaxerxes, and 483 years later, guess what? Jesus entered Jerusalem to be crucified. Dennis, that really is amazing. But you know, as well as I do, that the world would just simply say, that's a coincidence. Well, they might, but such prophecies and their precise fulfillment is beyond the realm of coincidence. What we're talking about here is God incidences. That is, historical events orchestrated by God. You know, Dennis, I uh, spent uh, some seven years cataloging all of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. And in the process, folks, I discovered 108 separate and distinct prophecies that were fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. Think of that, 108. Now, there's a mathematician 
by the name of Peter Stoner who has calculated the odds of just seven, not 108, but seven of those prophecies being fulfilled accidentally in the life of one person. And he concluded that the odds are one in 10 to the 17th power. Folks, that's the number 10 with 17 zeros after it. Have you ever pondered the odds represented by this phenomenal number? Now, Dennis, I have never met Peter Stoner, but I am absolutely convinced that he must be a neat guy because he uses the state of Texas to illustrate what is meant by one in 10 to the 17th power. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Now, here's the way he, uh, he explains it. He says, take the state of Texas, fill it knee deep with silver dollars, fly over an airplane, drop out one silver dollar with a red dot on it, take some bulldozers and mix this all up, this <laughs> sea of silver dollars, get them really mixed up, uh -huh. then turn a person loose into that sea of silver dollars with a blindfold on. And the odds that on the first draw, they'll reach down and pick up the silver dollar with the red dot is one in 10 to the 17th power. Wow, and double wow. <laughs> You're right, Dave, it's beyond the realm of possibility. That's why some people try to argue that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies on purpose but most of them were incapable of purposeful self-fulfillment. For example, consider the two we just looked at concerning his birth. How many of us have been able to control the timing of our own birth? And the same is true about the place of his birth. Well, that's right. And that brings us to one of the most important prophecies concerning Jesus' birth. It's found in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Well, wait a minute. Before we go to that, let's just pause here for a moment uh, before we read that crucial passage because I'd like for us to have a song sung by Jack Hollingsworth of Acts 29 Ministries. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and song. And now, Dennis, let's go to that key passage you were talking about in Micah 5, verse 2, that talks about the birthplace of the Messiah. Okay, Dave. Well, that verse reads as follows. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. 
Now this prophecy, written 500 years before Jesus' birth, specifically names the town where the Messiah will be born. Yes, it does, Dennis. And you know, folks, it does it more precisely than most people realize, because there were two Bethlehems in Israel at that time, one in the north, near the Sea of Galilee, and the other in the south, near Jerusalem. This prophecy says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem Ephrathah, meaning the Bethlehem near Jerusalem. Uh, let me illustrate the point this way. If I were to ask a person where he was born, and he said to me, um, Springfield, I would have to ask, which Springfield? That's because there's a Springfield in almost every state of our nation. We are talking here, folks, about very specific prophecies, not the kind of vague and indecipherable prophecies that characterize the writings of false prophets like Nostradamus, so-called prophecies that are written in such linguistic mumbo-jumbo that they can be understood only after the event, and then can be applied to numerous events over and over and over again. Now, before we leave the prophecy in Micah, I'd like to point out something else it says that's very important and which is often overlooked. Beginning with the latter part of the verse 2 and continuing through verse 3, the passage says this, From you, Bethlehem, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. These verses make it very clear that the Messiah will be divine, that he will be God in the flesh. For these verses say he will be the one who has existed eternally. And this is not the only prophecy that affirms the divinity of the Messiah. Another can be found in Isaiah 9, 6, where it says the Messiah will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And let's not forget, Dave, that last week when we focused on the scriptural evidence of the virgin birth, we took a look at the several prophecies that indicated the divine nature of the Messiah, like the one in Genesis 3.15, which said he would be born of the seed of a woman, and the one in Isaiah 7.14, which said, point blank, he would be born of a virgin. Folks, there are many other details in the Hebrew scriptures about the birth of the Messiah that were prophesied long before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. For example, the prophet Balaam mentioned that a special star would mark the Messiah's birth. In one of his Psalms, Solomon stated that kings would send the Messiah gifts. Hosea prophesied that the Messiah would be taken into Egypt, which is exactly what happened when Jesus' parents fled Bethlehem due to the threats of King Herod. And Herod's subsequent slaughter of the children of Bethlehem was prophesied by Jeremiah. The New Testament also contains many prophecies about the birth of the Messiah. And in a few moments, we will take a look at them. We want to pause for a moment in our study of Christmas in Prophecy to introduce you to a very valuable Bible prophecy study resource. It is this publication which we call the Christ in Prophecy Study Guide. I worked on this guide for seven years from 1980 to 1987. My goal was to catalog every Messianic prophecy in the Old Testament concerning both the first and second advents of the Messiah. But the prophecies are more than just catalog. They are arranged analytically by categories. For example, the 108 prophecies concerning the first coming are grouped into the following categories. The Messiah's lineage, his birth and childhood, his life and ministry, his nature as both God and man, his death, his resurrection and ascension. As you can see from this page, I provide you with the Old Testament prophecy in the left column, a summary of the prophecy in the middle column, and in the right column, I give you the New Testament scripture where the prophecy was fulfilled. Now, regarding second coming prophecies, most people do not realize it, but there are many more prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures about the second coming 
than the first. These prophecies are also outlined in this study guide in detail and are placed in chronological order according to the sequence in which they will most likely happen. When first published, this guide proved to be enormously popular and we sold out of it in the early 90s. Beginning in 1995, on and off, I, I spent another five years completely revising the guide and expanding it to include the Messianic prophecies contained in the New Testament. The guide was republished in expanded form in 2001. The guide runs 150 pages in length and is spiral bound for easy access. It contains charts and diagrams, and it contains both a topical index and a scripture index. This is the ideal handbook and study guide for any serious student of Bible prophecy. It can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. Call the number you see on the screen and ask for the Prophecy Study Guide. As a bonus, we will send with your copy of the study guide this 45-page booklet entitled Psalm 2, The King is Coming. It contains a verse-by-verse -verse exposition of Psalm 2, which I consider to be one of the greatest prophecies in the Bible concerning the second coming of the Messiah. Again, just call the number you see on the screen and ask for the Prophecy Study Guide. It and the Psalm 2 booklet can be yours for a gift of $20 or more. And in addition to the Psalm 2 booklet, we will also send you a special edition of our magazine, The Lamplighter. This edition, entitled The Bethlehem Miracle, includes five articles about Christmas in Bible prophecy, including an in-depth article about the virgin birth and a fascinating article about the star of Bethlehem. Was it a star or was it, in fact, the Shekinah glory of God? Again, to receive the Prophecy Study Guide, the Psalm 2 booklet, and the special edition of our magazine, call 1-800-225-7977 and make a donation of $20 or more. And now, let's return to our study of Christmas in Bible prophecy. As Dave said before the break, in addition to Old Testament prophecies that were given hundreds and even thousands of years before the Messiah was born, the New Testament contains a cluster of prophetic statements that were made shortly before the birth of Jesus. The first was given by the angel Gabriel to Zacharias, the priest who was to become the father of John the Baptist. Gabriel told Zacharias that his barren wife, Elizabeth, would conceive a son to be named John and that this son would serve as a forerunner of the Messiah, preparing the hearts of the people for the Messiah's appearance. Gabriel next appeared to Mary to announce that she would be the mother of the Messiah by the power of the Holy Spirit. He told her that her child's name would be Yeshua, or Jesus in English, meaning God's salvation. He also said the child would be divine, that he would be the son of of the Most High. The next prophetic words came out of Mary's mouth after she became pregnant with the Messiah. Luke records a glorious song which she sang to Elizabeth. In the song, Mary prophesies that her son will scatter the proud, bring down rulers, exalt the humble, and fill the hungry. And three months later, Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit when his son, John the Baptist, was born. And Zacharias also sang a prophetic song. Referring to the baby in Mary's womb, he proclaimed that God had raised up a horn of salvation for the Jewish people. He then declared that his own son would be called the prophet of the Most High. And he prophesied that his son would go before the Lord to prepare his way. Zacharias concluded his song with one of the most beautiful poetic prophecies concerning the Messiah that can be found anywhere in the scripture. Here's what he said. 
because of the tender mercy of our God, the sunrise from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Those are beautiful words. The next prophetic song of celebration was sung on the night of the Messiah's birth when an angel appeared to the shepherds of Bethlehem and proclaimed, Behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord. That angel was suddenly joined by a multitude of angels who sang a triumphant chorus, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The final prophetic song related to the Messiah's birth was sung by a righteous and devout man by the name of Simeon. The Holy Spirit had come upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. He was given that glorious privilege 40 days after the Messiah's birth when the parents of Jesus came to the temple in Jerusalem to dedicate their baby to God. Simeon took the Christ child in his arms, lifted him up, thanked the Lord, and sang, My eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Folks, the bottom line is that the fulfillment of all these prophecies in the life of one person, Jesus of Nazareth, is proof positive that he was who he said he was, namely, the Messiah of God. Yes, Dennis, and God's faithfulness in fulfilling each of these prophecies in detail is also significant because it gives us assurance that he will likewise faithfully fulfill all the prophecies he has given to Christians regarding the soon return of Jesus. Folks, God has made some great promises to the church. He certainly has, Dave. And that's why Paul wrote that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. And likewise, in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Paul wrote, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the mind of man conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. One day... Very soon, Jesus is going to appear in the heavens and take the church, both the living and dead, out of this world. On the way up, we're going to receive glorified, immortal bodies that will never age again, praise the Lord, and never again feel any pain. After the tribulation, we will return to earth with Jesus to help him reign over the earth, and we will see this world flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice as the waters cover the seas. And Dennis, those are only a few of the glorious promises God has made about the future. And we can be assured that God will be just as faithful in fulfilling them as he was in fulfilling all the promises that he made about the first coming of the Messiah. You're watching Christ in Prophecy. Today's topic is Christmas in Bible Prophecy. And now let's return to our host, Dr. David Reagan. We now want to return to one of the prophecies we considered earlier. It's the one given to Mary by the angel Gabriel when he informed her that she had been chosen by God to be the mother of the Messiah. It's recorded in Luke 1, beginning with verse 31. Would you read that for us, Dennis? All right. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, folks, this magnificent statement contains seven promises. Four of them relate to the first advent of the Lord, and they have thus all been fulfilled. Let's consider those four. Number one, Mary will conceive and give birth to a son. 
Number two, his name will be called Jesus. Number three, he will be called great. Number four, he will be called the Son of God. But Dave, what most people overlook is that Gabriel's statement to Mary contained three other prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled. Number one, he will be given the throne of David. That hasn't been fulfilled. Secondly, he will reign over the house of Jacob. And thirdly, there will be no end to his kingdom. Well, Dennis, I'm very glad you mentioned that because, folks, I call these three promises the forgotten promises of Christmas because they are not taught by most churches in Christendom today. That's because most churches take the position that Jesus will never return to this earth to reign. This is called the amillennial viewpoint. The amillennial view is based on the supposition that the Bible simply does not mean what it says. To substantiate the viewpoint, its proponents are forced to spiritualize Scripture. Thus, in their interpretation of these three unfulfilled promises, they convert the throne of David into the throne of God, and the house of Jacob becomes the church. They then conclude that the promises have been fulfilled in the current reign of Jesus from his Father's throne over the church. Now, folks, there is no doubt that Jesus is currently reigning from his Father's throne over his kingdom, the church. But to identify that reign with the one promised to Mary takes a great leap of imagination. The throne of David is not the throne of God. The throne of God is in heaven. The throne of David is in Jerusalem. Jesus himself clearly differentiates between the throne of God and his own throne in Revelation 3.21. In that verse, Jesus says that he will one day allow believers, you and me, to sit with him on his throne, just as his Father has allowed him to share his throne. Jesus is not on the throne of David today. He is sitting at the right hand of his Father on his Father's throne. He will occupy the throne of David when he returns to earth to reign from Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Nor is the church the house of Jacob. This is an Old Testament term for the children of Israel. The church is never referred in Scripture as the house of Jacob. The Bible teaches that a remnant of the Jews will one day accept Jesus as their Messiah. This will occur at the end of seven years of terrible suffering called the tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. When Jesus returns at the end of that time of suffering, the Jewish remnant will be gathered to the land of Israel and will be made the foremost nation in the world. Jesus will then rule over the house of Jacob. You know, another important point to keep in mind is that the current church kingdom is not an everlasting kingdom. The church age kingdom will end with the rapture of the church. The church kingdom will be followed by the millennial kingdom when Jesus will reign over all the earth from Mount Zion in Jerusalem. That kingdom here on this earth will last 1,000 years. The final eternal kingdom of Christ will be established on a new perfected earth. Folks, why can't we accept the promises made to Mary to mean what they say? The first four meant exactly what they said. Why must the last three be spiritualized? The only reason for spiritualizing them is to force them to conform to some preconceived doctrine. It's a good point, Dennis. You know, I, I believe God knows how to communicate. If God had intended to promise Mary that her son would reign from heaven over the church forever, well, he would have said so. Instead, he reaffirmed to her the promise he had made many times through the Old Testament prophets that his son would reign from David's throne in Jerusalem over Israel and that he would be given a kingdom that would last forever. And Dave, if the promises God made to the Jews didn't mean what they said, then how can we be sure that his promises made to the church mean what they say? Absolutely. I believe God says what he means, and he means what he says. And I would certainly agree with that, uh, Dennis. Uh, during this Christmas season, I am going to praise God for sending his son to die for my sins, but I am also going to pray 
that God will soon send his son again to fulfill the forgotten promises which Gabriel made to Mary. Let me tell you something, folks. The church may have forgotten those promises, but I thank God that he never forgets a promise. As we bring our program to a close, I would like to introduce you to our Lamb and Lion family. First, my wife Anne, who has stood by me since the beginning of the ministry in 1980, encouraging me every step of the way. Our senior staff member is Gary Byers, who joined our staff in 1983. Gary is our financial minister in charge of donations. He is also the person who does all our telephone counseling. Our next staff member in seniority is George College, Jr., our financial minister in charge of expenditures. The Lord brought George to us in 1990. George Doubles is one of our camera operators when we are recording television programs. My daughter Rachel and her husband Leo have also been working for the ministry since 1993. They are the caretakers of our grounds and buildings. Rachel also works in our mailroom and serves as one of our video camera operators. Leo heads up our mailroom operation and serves as our video switcher. In 1998, the Lord brought us two ladies who do most of the behind the scenes work in our ministry. Without them, we just could not function. They are Kay Bean, our Executive Secretary, and Kathy Grubb, our Administrative Assistant. Kathy gets involved in TV production when we need a teleprompter operator. Kay does all our proofreading. Our media department is composed of three staff members. Don Gordoni serves as our media director. He and his wife Lori are the parents of nine children. Don is assisted by Larry Watts and Trey College. Larry is our audio engineer and Trey serves as a camera operator. Both assist with editing. Our newest staff member is Nathan Jones. He is our web minister who conducts active ministry with people all over the world via the internet. Well, here we are all on the set on autopilot. And from all of us here in Texas to all of you out there, Merry Christmas and a blessed new year, y'all. Today's program is included in Christmas and Bible Prophecy and is available for a gift of $15 or more. Christmas and Bible Prophecy contains three powerful discussions that will help you recapture the wonder of Christmas. In Christmas and Bible Prophecy, Dr. Reagan explores the importance of the virgin birth, prophecies fulfilled at Jesus' birth, and examines a list of what we call forgotten promises of Christmas. This thoughtful DVD would make a wonderful Christmas gift and works especially well as a guide for individual or group Bible study this time of year. To order Christmas in Bible Prophecy for a gift of $15 or more, call 1-800-225-7977. We want you to become more familiar with us, so we've prepared an introductory packet for anyone who requests it. This packet is free, and you can receive one of your own by calling the number on your screen or writing to us at landlion at landline.com. Your packet will contain the latest issue of our bi-monthly magazine, The Lamplighter, a catalog listing all of our resources, our most popular publication entitled, What Happens When You Die?, and an audio message entitled, Jesus is Coming Soon. Just give us a call at 1-800-705-8316 during regular business hours Central Time and ask for the Lamb and Lion introductory packet. Or you can email us at lamblion at lamblion.com. Please remember to provide us your name and address when you write. Have you ever felt overwhelmed with trying to get a grip on Bible prophecy? Do you have the time, the space, the money for all the books? Well, there's hope for you. After spending just a few minutes at lamblion.com, you'll discover that Dr. David Reagan's devotion to sound Bible study and his excellent skills as a teacher and communicator for over 25 years 
have led to the development of one of the best organized and most extensive Bible study websites in the world. Every day we receive feedback from people all over the globe who are blessed by the articles that can be found at lamblion.com. Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus' soon return. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.